Welcome to the Harvest Sound Podcast. For music and mission, truth and prophecy, creativity and compassion merge as one. So let's, um, well, actually, just before we stand for reading of a scripture here, I'm going to um, uh, just, I was just reminded of just the power of Jesus' words where he says, and most of you guys have probably heard this since you were young, but to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given unto you. Just the power of that directive from our Savior, from the Lord, that we're to seek first his kingdom and, and his righteousness. Some, some people forget the righteousness part. And, um, and so just the power of seeking. I mean, bottom line is we're always seeking something, whether we know it or not. Humans seek after things. We have different objectives and directives and priorities. And, but for those who are in Jesus, we're called to seek first his kingdom and his character. We're to participate in the divine nature. Apostle Paul writes it that way, to participate in the divine nature, the character of Christ. We, we, that's part of our inheritance. We're robed with righteousness. So we seek first above all. That's our priority. And I think if we keep that first and foremost, we'll never be disappointed. I mean, you know, whether you're a single or a married couple or a family, if that's uh, your mantra, if that's your, your priority, if you, you, know, you hang that on the, on, the, on the doorpost of your house, some people literally do stuff like that, but it's like to, to just a reminder, like this is what we're all about. We're kingdom people. We're seeking the king and his kingdom and his righteousness. And then the, the beauty and the bounty of all that, he says everything at that point will be given unto you. I mean, if you think of that promise, everything that formerly he talks about that pagans run after and wear themselves out trying to get all the stuff in this life, but how much more there's also an inheritance for us as we seek first the kingdom and everything is given onto us. And then just another passage, these are just on the way here. I was just, the Lord was just dropping these very familiar passages. And the next one comes from Matthew, same chapter, but verse 10, Matthew 610 says, where Jesus says in his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, that's a, a priority, a, a directive uh, that, that we should um, adhere to and aspire to and rise to, that, that his kingdom would come. That I mean, how many people here would say, man, in my lifetime, I want to see the kingdom increase. I want to see it multiplied. I'm going to pray this. I'm going to believe. And what does that mean? I believe it also means the reality of it's not fully here. It's being contended for. If we have to pray in the kingdom coming and his will being done, then he's left us in this dichotomy of this, this tension of like of good and evil. And that's why we love these adventure movies, right? We're like, because it's like, we, I think we're, you know, um, man, there was, a, there was a billboard on the way here, uh, something about adventure. I wish I remember. Shoot. It was, it was a good one, but we were driving in on 65. Maybe it'll come to me later. But, but there's, uh, God's built us for adventure. He's built us for adventure. He's built us for impact. And uh, part of our job is to, is to bring the kingdom on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. His will be done. We need to pray in his will, his will for America. What's his will for America right now? We need those to, people to not let go of that, to contend with the Lord and, and, and say, God, you know, don't, don't pass us by. Don't, don't, 
Don't leave us as we are. Lord, your will. What is your will? What is your purpose? What is your destiny? I believe that America, see, I'm, I'm kind of maybe got a unique perspective. I'm, I'm um, dual citizenship. So I am American. My mom was born in America. Um, but I grew up in Canada. So I grew up from kind of a Canadian perspective of America as well. And the one thing that I think the world knows about Americans is they love freedom. You know, they, they're, we're, you know the whole history of our founding fathers and the, and the Declaration of Independence and the battle for freedom to not be under tyranny and, and, and to not cave to, to, uh, to, to um, the, the spirits that want to make us bound again and enslaved. That's why everyone escaped Europe at that time for freedom of worship. And, and, and so um, I believe that that spirit is still presides in the American people. And God is actually trying to awaken us to stand ultimately, watch this, for his kingdom to come, not for just, we're not just patriots onto making America great, but it's, it's for his kingdom to come because that's what makes America great, that his will would be done and that we wouldn't give up and that we wouldn't be bound and be, be made slaves again. And we are in a defining moment. I don't know if you guys are awake. Don't sleep through this one. Don't sleep through it. You might wake up to a nightmare. God needs all his people awake right now to be burning, shining lights, to be beacons of truth. Wherever God puts you, whether you're just having a conversation, you know, with someone, whether it's an opportunity to, to speak out or to, but to declare the ways of the Lord, to declare the kingdom of God, to pray in your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no slaves in heaven. Okay. And, and uh, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I believe there's an awakening of, of freedom-loving Americans. That's what I believe is, is, is happening right now. We're being, we're being challenged right now. We're being confined. We're being pressured. And I believe it's going to awaken. Ultimately, what God's trying to do is awaken the bride because she's the only one that's truly free. The sun sets you free, you're free. Anyone else might think they're free, but they're not. And there's a freedom that God wants to infuse into America through, I believe, the greatest awakening. And I believe we're in that time where God is trying to awaken the church and, and bring forth a revival, bring forth uh, a harvest like we've never seen before, okay? And it, sometimes it's, it's darkest before the dawn. Is this making sense? And I believe we're right in that, in that precarious moment right now as we go into the fall. There, and there's a lot of... A lot of uh, turbulence that's here and it's going to keep coming for a while. I'm just telling you guys, you know, we have to be built for action, but we have to be not faint at heart for what's coming. Okay. Uh, I talked to you a little bit last week about making some preparations, just knowing that there's a battle, uh, the very soul of our nation. I believe ultimately our mandate doesn't change as believers, your kingdom come for king and for kingdom. And, and that we're here for that purpose. Is this making sense? And if we have our priorities right, all these things will be added onto you. That doesn't mean just because we're going through tough times in America that God's word changes. His promise is still good. The houses that are still going to be standing when the storm comes are those who, who uh, obeyed the words of Jesus. That's our finest hour when, that, when things are collapsing all around us and we're still standing strong, holding on to the Lord, watching his supernatural supply. Don't be afraid of situations where all of a sudden, you know, we have to depend on the miraculous. See, we, we've gone so far in, in our American strength and our Western-mindedness that we think we kind of have to have it all plotted out. You know, uh, 
There's an element that God wants to bring us into whenever he wants to bring us into. It's called the miraculous. It's like called the loaves and fishes, supply. And then all of a sudden you get to be part of a Bible story. That's, that's actually cooler than just making your own lunch. But don't you think? <laughs> you know, and, and God wants to sweep us into that kind of miraculous realm where we're living and we're like, you know, I remember times literally out, out in, in the community where we're, we see so many people come, hundreds of people out in the park, and we were like scratching our head going, oh my goodness, we don't have near enough food. Like, what are we going to do? And everyone's standing in line. We got, we got drug dealers. We got, we got prostitutes. They're all, everyone's coming for a hamburger, and we got worship going, the whole thing. But I remember looking at it. At the, this is more than a few times it's happened. And, uh, and, and just looking at the line going, there's just no way. I mean, look at that, and look what's left here. And we said, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Come on. Let's just pray. We walk up and down the line. Okay, you did it. It's, it's Bible, Lord. <laughs> you did it. And, and, sh- and sure enough, I-, I can't remember one time when we ever ran out of food. Where we come back, and I said, did it, did it work? Did it work? I mean, they're like, yeah, we fed everyone. We had stuff left over. So guys, we're not that far removed from the Bible stories. We is the Bible story. You are the living epistle. Yeah, you're, God's writing stories through your life right now. There was a miracle... Uh, why don't you tell us? We don't, we don't have the video. Do we, do, do we get it ready? Oh, we do. Let's check this out. There's a video from Friday night. You're going to love this. Profound uh, miracle healing right on Broadway. How about that? Have you ever seen a miracle before if you believe in it or not? But I'm going to testify right now. This man, Jeff, was assaulted in June. He was attacked by a man with a hammer and a knife. He was in a comatose state for almost four months. And tonight he came by and he heard the sound of praise to Jesus. And he got up out of his wheelchair for the first time in four months. And Jeff has been worshiping. And he said, he said, I know why the Lord brought me back. He said I was dying for four months. And I know why the Lord brought me back. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. And Jeff is the living proof of that. He stood up out of his wheelchair. He got up. He wanted to help him. He didn't even let us help him. He got up on his own. He said it was the first time he stood up in four months. And he started walking on his own. Lord, we thank you that you still do miracles like you witnessed tonight. And Jeff's life is good. He walked for the first time in four months after me. And the Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for the power of the God. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you saw, but he was attacked, if you heard the story, by a hammer and a knife and just, what, months ago? And uh, you saw the back of his head. It was just all scars and all messed up. But there he is being miraculously healed in the name of Jesus. Way to go, guys. Woo! That's the way we do it. Thank you, Lord. So let's keep going. Let's keep believing for the miraculous. I mean, if you look at the daunting activities of what's happening uh, in, in our world right now, you can get depressed and go, what is happening? You know, look at Afghanistan. We need to be praying for the church there and praying for the, the American citizens and those who have aligned with America. Let's, let's pray. Let's say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Afghanistan. That God would turn this around, okay? Uh, uh, politically and all these other things, things are just shaken. But we've inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So that should give you security every day. You go, like, wow, what a great day to be alive. Thank you, Lord, you put me here. Woo! We're all, what did Sarah say? We're giant killers. Giant slayers. That's even more dangerous. <laughs> My wife is really a warrior, if you haven't figured that out. She comes in a very cute pack, package, but <laughs> don't, don't mess with her. <laughs> I did that. 
once. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's get into... Um, Let's get into the word for today. That was just kind of a, a, a warm-up, but I do feel like uh, uh, I want to talk to you about, um, about brokenness, which is kind of funny, kind of opposite of, you know, dragon slayer and, you know, and giant killer, whatever, all that stuff, and just, you know, the greatest adventure and everything, and all of a sudden, well, now here comes a word about brokenness. What's that got to do with anything we just talked about? We're going to find out. So, Lord God, we just thank you for this word and that you'd translate it to us, Lord, uh, the power, the beauty of brokenness. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is Psalm 51, 17. Psalm 51, 17. Just one, one scripture, one text this morning. We'll have more, but this is what we're going to read out loud. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's read that one more time. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Please be seated. Okay, so some of you guys probably have lived long enough to realize some of the truth of this, that when we're, as Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. There's something mystical about the gospel and the way it works that in our weakness, his power is perfected. And here, you know, talking about the sacrifice of God, when we offer up to God, it says that he accepts. Uh, I believe he's even attracted to a broken, contrite heart, a broken spirit. And you might think, well, you know, we like to shine things up, make them look good as humans, you know, the, uh, the survival of the strong. And, you know, and we're, we're kind of opposite in our human nature where, we, you know, we don't like broken things and like that's just a little too needy a little too messy for me and but I'll tell you something God is attracted to humility to brokenness he actually says now I can work I can work with that did you know you can be you can be too big for God to work with you but you can never be too small you can be all all that and pride you know puffs us up and, and God says you know what I can't work with that. I'm gonna have to resist that I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. I exalt the humble. And so we see David's writing about this, the sacrifice of God, the DNA of what God's looking for in a, in a human spirit. It's a place of, of, of contrite and, and, and brokenness. And we can see this all through a lot of the Bible heroes and stories. We, we just think of, of Moses. He started out strong, you know, raised in the royal pa palace and you know, um, and, and he, he, he was looking good for a moment there. And then he, you know, he tried to launch out in, in ministry in his own strength and ends, ends up killing an Egyptian and ends up getting running as a refugee in the backside of the desert. Forty years taking care of sheep. Can you imagine the difference of go, in, in Pharaoh's house being raised up? And then all of a sudden here he is. And, the, and, and I believe during that time, God was preparing his heart. He's preparing a, a, a broken and a contrite spirit. To the point where he, he had to have a little jump start when he finally had the burning bush experience. <laughs> He's like, I don't think you got the, right, the wrong guy. I'm not sure. You know, I was like, I can't even talk. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know. He, and, and sometimes that the Lord will allow us to just almost disintegrate. Like we're, like my gifting. I used to be strong. I used to be confident. I used to have it going on. But the beauty of brokenness is all that God's really looking for because then he can really shine through us. Because, because, 
when it's intermingled with our own will, our own giftings, our own ego, it's just kind of a mess. And I think a lot of times God has to back off and just let us fall apart a little bit, you know? You know there's, so, you, so finally, Moses, he gets called back into his, his purpose, his destiny. You look at David, same, similar story, the, the ups and downs, the ebb and flow of his life where he's on top, he's a giant killer. But before that, he was not even counted as a brother in his own family, you know, or Samuel's like, don't you got another brother, Jesse? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, another son. And so, and, and then you see, you know, where he, he falls into sin with Bathsheba and, and then all, all these things. But David knew this comes, actually the scripture we just read comes from Psalm 51, David's profound uh, psalm of repentance where he had just totally obliterated, totally broken. I've messed up. I mean, and many people suffered because of some of his sin. But he knew how to repent. He knew how to get back right with God. He knew how to, how to, how to come in a, in a humble way before God. And I'm telling you, that's the secret to a, to a believer's success. It's, it, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And we look to the Lord. We say, God, would you cover me in the blood? Would you give me another chance? You know? And... and um, um, you think of, um, of Joseph, similar story. He starts off strong. He's the favored son. He's got the dreams. He's got the inspiration, the aspirations. And all of a sudden, tutter, a total disaster, you know, betrayed by his brothers and, uh, you know, made a slave and, and finally ends up in the dungeon and forgotten. And, but God was working something in him during those times, a broken contract spirit. Because if, if, we, if we're not tempered, if we don't have the right character and countenance, I mean, we're just going to make a mess when God promotes us and there's all that ugly ego and pride still there. That's why it's taken some of you so long. Because God's trying to work, he crucifies the old man where he, when he finally, when he says, have you considered my son or my daughter? There's just, you're translucent. All they see is Jesus. And so we need to participate with the Holy Spirit and saying, God, I want this contrite heart, this humble heart. And I believe that's really when life begins in the kingdom. When we come to that place, and I think there's layers of brokenness and there's defining moments where we finally step into and we surrender. But living a life of surrender, how many times do we hijack our own life and take it back, the living sacrifice that crawls off the altar? It's like, because it's still alive. You know, he's, God, he doesn't totally obliterate us. Your heart is still beating. You're still here. We still have free will. So therefore, you can take it back if you want. And you can start doing things in the flesh. But to constantly come to that place of just, Lord, you know, I, I, I want to be broken before you. I want your will, not my will. You know, in, in uh, the book of Job, I'm going to talk about Job for a moment here. Um, the, in uh, Job eleven twelve, it says that a, a man be born as a wild donkey. And uh, King James is actually a different word for that donkey. I won't do that right now. But, but it says a man is like a wild donkey. And if you think about it, I mean, Jason, you could probably tell us about horses. But how do, you, how do you break a will of a horse where it's useful to the master, to the owner? You know, it's like there's such a process to getting, getting a human where God can finally access what he sees in you, what he's called you for. It doesn't just happen overnight. And, it, and, it's, 
It's costly. It's costly. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. Unless you're willing to give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. I didn't say that. That would have been too much. I was like, that's, Jesus, that's a little intense there. You're going to scare a lot of people away. You're going to thin the herd on that one. But it's, it is what it is. God's after our all. He wants utter devotion. He wants passion that won't stop. He doesn't want just a little dabble, do your religion, a little footsie with the kingdom over here and then over in the world over there. And he's calling us. And you might say, well, I'm, I, feel, I feel ashamed. I feel unworthy. I mean, I, I, you know, I got addictions and I've been into stuff and this and that. I'm telling you, all you can do is throw yourself on the altar time and time again and, 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 and get uh, accountability and keep pushing for the kingdom. You're going to live a heroic life. All these things will be given unto you, but you got to give up the old man. That's what, I, that's what Isaiah had to do. You think of Peter. You think of Saul. Of How much did Saul have to give up? Everything he learned. You know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. All his education meant nothing when God sent him over to the Gentiles. It's like, wow, it's, it's a total turnaround. Everything he knew, everything he, he, he put pride in and he, and he aspired to be, all of a sudden God calls him and sends him into a realm where a bunch of grungy Gentiles, like, you know, pagans, I don't care about your Hebrew God. I, you know, it's like, and all of a sudden, now he's got to like navigate through that. And God does that to us sometimes because we surrender. And then God says, watch this. This is going to be a good one. And he throws you into a, a, a world like where you're like, you know, like a, like a Canadian white boy in the in inner city hood. I mean, go figure that out. But God figured it out. You know, he knew there was something in my DNA and my story of my willing, willingness to say yes, whatever, whatever all that package was. He just knew this would work over there. God is sovereign. He knows exactly where to put you. He's got good works prepared in advance for you to do. The question is, are you going to do them or not? That's the only question. The works are already there. The calling is there. The anointing to accomplish and to turn the world upside down is there in every believer. But man is born like a wild donkey. It must be broken. We're stubborn. You look all through the Bible. We see the Israelites, the story, what do we see? The constant theme. You stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. New Testament, you, you perverse generation, you know, you, you doubting generation. How long will I put up with you? I mean, what's wrong with you people? I mean, that's what God says a bunch of times. Like, and yet, at the same time, he never gives up with us. He's always giving us grace and extending mercy and saying, come on, but I got something for you. Yeah, you're a mess. I agree, you're a mess. But that's why I came, to lift you out of that mess, to set you on a rock higher than you've ever been. Woo! Come on, someone. <laughs> so St. Augustine said this. He said, in the kingdom, he said, when he was assessing uh, different virtues, he said, humility, it's very similar to brokenness, y'all. He said, humility is first, second, and third in Christianity. How important is Humility. I mean, we can't get anywhere if God is opposing us, but we can go anywhere through humility if he exalts us, if he's giving us grace. And humility means being not proud or haughty, not arrogant. Okay? I'm going to move on from there, but you guys understand. But it's a picture of a seed. We talked about a seed. A seed, you know... Here's the thing about a seed, just quickly. The good stuff's on the inside. Uh, 
you know, Roger, sometime we need you to come bring a whole message on seeds. I know you, he's, he's packing. He's got so much revelation on planting and seeds and all stuff. But the good stuff's on, is that, is that not true? The good stuff's on the inside, right? It's, it, on the outside, it's called a husk. Some of us are very husky. We got a lot of outer flesh, a lot of, a lot of old man to get through because you got to somehow, that husk has got to be broken. It's got to be taken off for, that, for the germination, for the good stuff, the new life to come forth. You think of a walnut, right? Some of us are <laughs> hard, nut, hard nut to crack, but not, it's not impossible for the Lord. And once we get to that good stuff, I mean, that's when the kingdom begins. Once you come to that place of surrender and you're like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. I don't care. I follow the Lord. My life is his. You know, I remember back in the day when I had kind of aspired to certain things in the music industry and this and that, and I was working and God had opened some doors and it was good. There were some great times. Love doing something I love to do. However, I, I, I realized that I had a lot of qualifications of, you know, how I was following God. I was kind of negotiating with him. Come on over here, God. I'm kind of help me out as I'm helping you out. You know, we'll work together on this. You know, and, and, and then I came to a place where I realized he truly is the master. And I'm either going to obey him for what he has for my life or not. And how many rich young rulers are just walking around sad? Just like, well, I just got too much stuff to give up, man. I'm just thinking, I just can't do it, man. I just, I mean, I'm kind of attracted to this Jesus guy. I'm attracted. But why is there such depression even in the body of Christ in America? Everyone popping pills and all this stuff. It's like, I, it, could it be that some of us have not surrendered and we're not living the life that's truly life. We're still just kind of negotiating with God and trying to, well, I want this. I must have this before I serve him. I must have this. I must have, and, and I, I believe that we're, we're coming to a place that there's such a shaking that God's gonna shake a lot of people loose from qualifications and, and expectations where we'll finally be free. We'll be free agents for the Lord. See, when you give up what you love the most, you're free. And you make the Lord the most high. Anything else that competed with him, that once competed with him? I remember when I let go of the music industry and the career and the whole thing. I'm not saying everyone has to do that necessarily. This was my journey, my story. But I remember when, when God had put it on my heart, said, I need you, are you willing to let go? I remember feeling so free and so alive. I was like, whoa, I'm a free agent. I can do anything now. I mean, wherever God wants me to go. I don't have to be stuck to my own limitations. See, we live by the statutes of limitations if you live by your own imagination instead of the imagination that God has for you, the dream. We either live his dream or our dream. And I'm telling you, there's a difference between heaven and earth between the two. We can be earthly, earthbound, kind of trying to be a good person. I believe in Jesus. That's that, that, that. But we haven't really given up. We never came to that place of brokenness. So how do we get there? Well, first of all, just a couple thoughts here. And this will be probably a two or three part series. So, uh, so what, breaks, what breaks the heart? Let me, put, let me give you this point. God's anointed word. That's really the only thing that can, that can crack that nut, that human heart, that wild <laughs> you know, nature that has to be tamed. And I believe the word of the Lord, you know, hearing our faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. There, there's something that it starts to take us out of the, our, our own zone where we just do our own things in our own strength and our own timing and our own way. And we start to live by the word. In Jeremiah 23, 28, um, he says this. He says, is not my word like fire, 
declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. It's not my word like fire, like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. You might have a stony heart. You might have some issues. It might be because of self-protection, all the wounds you've been through. You're like, uh-uh, I'm not going there again. But God wants to come through the power of his word. And his word can be fiery. It can be a hammer, but it also can be soothing and the most profound, gentle thing you've ever experienced. But his word doesn't return void. So it cracks stuff open that otherwise would never crack. Does this make sense? And so our, our, God wants our heart. Woo! It's not my word like a fire, like a hammer. And so, you know, I was, I was reading from Jeremiah about this, this heart, and it compared the heart to a very, uh, very hard substance, adamant, adamant, uh, which is, they say is harder than, than flint. And it's a type of stone that was compared to the heart in the Old Testament. And, um, and but, you know, you look in the, the, the modern day dictionary of adamant, and it, it actually means someone who is very determined and not influenced by appeals to consider, not influenced by appeals where God would be appealing, say, would you consider my word? Would you consider my ways? And we're just adamant. We're just stubborn. And like, But I'm telling you, the power of God's word, if you give it a chance, if you just step out on it, it just takes a piece. You just take, okay, you might be, I'm not sure about God totally yet. I'm not sure if I'm all in, but I'll, you know, I'll just dare you to be like Peter and just take one step out of that boat and land on that promise, on that word, and see if you don't float. See if the word of God doesn't start to sustain you. You're like, whoa, what is it? I'll try another one. That, that one worked. Let's try another. Whoa. whoa. And before you know it, look, guys, I'm walking on water. I'm walking on the word. And it breaks us out of hard-heartedness. It breaks us out of our, our, our self-sufficiency. And we begin to live the way we're designed to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Wow, y'all quiet. Y'all thinking about something. <laughs> so um, let me tell you about, about Job for a moment. We're just going to touch on Job for today. So, um, so Job, you know, it's the profound thing about this story is it's kind of opposite of how most of us would, would think it would start, where there's this righteous man, kind of profound above everyone else. And, and then... The Lord, watch this, the Lord says to Satan, you think Satan would come to the Lord and switch this way. The Lord comes to Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And so he, he brings the consideration of Job and, and this profound righteous life before Satan to be tested. And, you know, Satan starts kind of making a deal. Like, well, yeah, you know, I'll test him. He won't serve you after I'm through with him. And God says, hey, you can test him, but you can't take his life. Okay? So, he, so you know the story. He just goes through catastrophic destruction. His family, it's like, it's unreal. Like, everything just starts collapsing all around him. And, and yet, Job doesn't deny the Lord. He, he, he stays true. But he wrestles. Lord, does he wrestle. I mean, he's just like. What is happening with my life? If you read it, there's chapter after chapter. And you see him going through this. And he, 
And he starts off, I want to give you just a glimpse into Job's life here. Um, and so um, one thing he says this, Job chapter three, verse 25, he says, he says, what I have feared has come upon me. What I have dreaded has happened to me. Interesting. So the very thing that he maybe thought, you know, I'm not even sure if I would serve the Lord. He's blessed me so good. He's such bounty and blessing. I'm not sure if I could make it through if this was all taken away. The very thing he feared, now he's in that storm. He's like, whoa, this, this is, and, and I believe sometimes the Lord will allow, I, don't, I can't say this 100% Bible, but if you look at this story, sometimes the Lord will allow the enemy to attack the area that you fear to get you out of that fear zone. Because fear just shrinks your world. Fear keeps you at a certain level and you can't go any further. And so the, the heat is on, the test is on now, and the very thing he feared is happening to him. See, we don't know what will be till we go through a test, come out the other side. I always tell people the greatest test, I think, of all for humans is similar probably what he was facing, if you read the description of his life, is fame. When everyone's, you know, celebrating you and, and you, you know, it's easy kind of in some ways to serve God when you don't have much. When all the accolades of man and all the fame and the money and everything starts flowing, who will be faithful then? Who will be true then? When you get in those upper echelons, who, where, are, where are the Daniels who can walk in the palaces of God and remain true, even if it costs him his own life? Where are the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And so he starts to go through this test. And at first, he demands an audience with God. He goes, I need to talk to God about this. Where is he? I need to talk to God. You know, God, God can handle that. David did that all the time. He's complaining. He's demanding an audience. He's like, come on. You know, this is not right. I feel there's injustice. Why am I going through this? You ever felt that? And so, and then he begins to talk to his friends. And, I, you know, we won't get into all their counsel and all the different things. But, but it says, um, he says this, Job replies, even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Hmm, interesting. This is what's starting to come out of, Job is getting squeezed and this is what's starting to come out. He's, it's, you know, he's like, Give me an audience before God, okay? And then, uh, and, and, and then the pain continues. The loss continues in his life. The testing that he's going through. Even his wife says, you should just curse God and die. <clears throat> he got a new wife. It was a better end, end of that story. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so Job 27.6 says, my righteousness I hold fast. And I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I shall live. So this is Job saying, my righteousness, I'm holding fast. I, he's like, I, I know I'm a righteous man. I know I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm not letting go of that. Okay? So you see this wrestle that's happening. And then he goes on. You think that's not enough. He goes on. He defends himself 39 times and uses me, my, and I 330 times. Do you think maybe God was getting at a little something in there that you couldn't see with this righteously robed man? Everything looked good. He was doing good. 
God's even said he was, there's no one like him. And yet God was digging deeper. He's digging into this realm where he feared. And, 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 and there's a little ugly coming out here. He's demanding. He's saying, my righteousness, I will not let go of my righteousness. I, want to, I demand a case with God. I want to bring my arguments before him. Me, my, I, me, my, I must die. So you see the rights, his rights. He's demanding his rights. He's entitled. He's entitled. Wait a sec. Righteous man, how did this slip in? Now he's like, well, I'm doing all this for God. He needs to do this for me. You ever been there? Let me tell you, you are a servant of the Most High. And I love where he says, though he slay me, I will still trust him. Though he's, Finally, he comes to this utterance, one of the most profound utterances of faith in the Bible. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will trust him. He finally comes to this place of brokenness. Y'all seeing this? But it took a little while to get there still. So he's, you see his self-defense. He's vindicating himself all through the book. How many chapters in there? 40-something chapters? Um, and see... See, here's the thing. Um, trouble, when it comes upon a man, upon a human or a woman, women are human too, right? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Come on. Uh, y'all just getting too quiet. It makes me nervous. Um, so when, when, it comes, when it comes upon a, a man or a woman, it's like the sun, okay? And when the sun comes, uh, the, the sun starts to shine and it'll either make you harder or it'll melt you. And that's the true of all, all people. When the troubles come, when the testing come, you come out harder and more indignant or you start to melt. You start to just be a puddle before God and say, God, I'm just melting. Only you can get me. You got me into this. You can get me out of this. You ever been there where you can feel that, that thing, I'm going to come out better or bitter? I'm going to, I mean, something's happening here, and there's a test that starts to happen when troubles come. I believe troubles are coming upon America right now, and we're going to see the church either rise and shine or we're not. I believe that's literally the primary reason for the shaking right now is God saying, I need my bride pure and holy and spotless and loosed from the, the things of this world that she will, will, will make herself beautiful because the Lord is returning soon. Okay? So, so Job, you know, another quote from Job. I'm just going to pick a few pieces just for the sake of time. But he says in uh, 29, verse 14, he says, I put on my righteousness and it, is, it has clothed me. My judgment was a, robe and a diadem. He's basically saying, I put on my righteousness. I put, I'm clothed with it. My judgment is a robe and a diadem. He was kind of, you know, he's kind of a little high on himself. He starts to see the more you hear him talk. Okay. But, but listen to this, but listen to what he did. Listen to this. It says, when I went out, this is, uh, it was reading along 29 verse seven. It says, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street. Young men saw me and hid themselves. And the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouths. The nobles had the, held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, it blessed me. When the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. 
because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had no one to help him. The blessings of him that was ready to perish came upon me because I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So, I mean, he was a champion. He was rescuing the poor and he had, he was revered by, by the young and old. He said, I was the eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. And I broke the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoils from their teeth. He was a warrior for righteousness. And yet, God's going after something. God's taking him deeper. God sees something that has to be extracted. And so God finally shows up to him. He gets his audience with God. God comes in a whirlwind, in a storm. How about that, Roger? How would you like God to talk to you in a whirlwind? He's lived through <laughs> enough of those things. I mean, it's like, uh-uh. It's like, please, Lord. And he says, brace yourself. Stand up like a man. And he starts to talk to Job. He comes in the storm, starts talking to him. Where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I made the ocean? Where were you when I made the, the deers and, and the heights of the Where were you when I made the birds sing? I mean, I mean, he, he begins to put a little perspective on him all of a sudden. He said, were you there? And, and, and he, he basically just slaps him upside the head a little bit. Oh, man. Oh, little created man being spoken to by the uncreated one. And Job, uh, in chapter 40, verse 3 says, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Remember, he said that's what other people did when Job came around. The young men put their hands over their mouth. Now, all of a sudden, Job is doing that, which, uh, you see. I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I will proceed no further. The end. Brokenness. And from that point on, I believe God could start saying, okay, now we can rebuild him. We can make him better than he was before. Better, faster, stronger. You guys, six million dollars. But God began to rebuild him. Everything started to shift from that moment when he finally surrendered. Said, I will proceed no further in my entitlement, my rights, me, my I. I think something died right there. In verse 42, I love this passage here. It says, I know, Job replies to the Lord. Uh, He says, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse five says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes, brokenness. And God says we can rebuild him better than he was before. He received 10 times as much of lands and herds and flocks. and Extraordinary story. 
He knew about God. His ears had heard about God, but now he's seen God. He was a new man. I think it's impossible to really see God and not be broken. Bunyan, John Bunyan said that, um, that a broken heart is a disabled heart, disabled from former actions. Even as a man whose bones are broken is disabled as to his way of running and leaping and wrestling. When a, broken, when a spirit is broken, the inward man is disabled as to what vanity and folly it before had delighted in. Hence, feebleness is joined with this brokenness of heart. Something, there's a divine transaction that happens when we come to that place. In, in, in essence, come to the end of ourselves where God can thoroughly begin and say, let's, let's do this now. You're ready. And just like that horse that finally is broken, now the master can ride. The contrite spirit. Remember Jesus said, learn from me for I am humble and gentle. I'm meek and lowly. Another translation, meek and lowly. This is the power source of Jesus. He was submitted under the Father. He did nothing that he didn't see the Father doing. He said nothing. He didn't see the, man, if we could have that kind of clarity, man. Do you think it's too much to ask God? Like, Lord, I want to walk like that. I want to live like that. I want to be in tune and sync. I don't want to be running around in the flesh all worn out every day. Lord, deliver us from this evil. Lord, take us into our high calling. We are in the most extraordinary times. <clears throat> shaking is coming, guys. There's a, there's a whole lot of shaking coming. We've already seen it, but it's still going to come. But there's a beautiful bride that will arise and shine out of all this. And that's really all we need to be concerned about. Lord, are, are we still on, on duty? Are we still on the mission? On earth as it is in heaven, your will be done. Are we still, are we still seeking first the kingdom? Are we, are we just standing fast and like, yeah, the world's going to... Sh- Shake, rattle, and roll. But is the church on mission? Is she beholding the bridegroom? Is she becoming like him? Arising and shining, for our light has come. The glory of the Lord appearing upon us in such dark, gross times. You know, one of the curses when Israel would not follow the Lord was that their their um, leaders would become like children, be like foolish, fools. Guys, I believe we're there in many ways. I'm not trying to curse leadership in general, but I think there's such a foolishness that's set in that it's astounding, and it's one of the curses. Here's the question. Do we deserve freedom the way we've been acting for the last decades? Do the American people even deserve it at this point? We've turned from God. We've turned from God. We get them out of the schools. We get prayer out. We, we, you know, we've, the, the, the blood of abortion, on and on and on. Do we really deserve freedom? And yet I believe in the mercy of God regardless. I believe God is rich in mercy. And if we humble ourselves in a, in a broken, contrite heart, God will be attracted to us once again. How much foolishness has been in the church? turned it into an entertainment spot 
Lord, deliver us. Let's pray. Let's stand up. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. do pray for those who are in authority. Let them have dreams and visions, conviction. We pray for those who are in authority in the church. Raise up a pure priesthood, Lord. Broken, contrite spirit in the leadership. These are the sacrifices of God. Priests offer sacrifices. You're a royal priesthood.